Thank you very much, Cindy, for sharing your story. I, I really think there can be nothing harder than trusting God with your children. Uh, I think we all think we can fix our kids ourselves. Anybody ever feel that way besides me? And how many of us find out, dang, we really don't do too much with those squirrels. And uh, so just to be able to turn them over and then to be trusting God and his faithfulness towards us. Question, how many of you ever had a day that started out great and before that day was over, all hell was breaking loose? Anybody ever have a day like that? How many ever tried to fix the day and it only got worse? Does that ever happen? Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, no matter how bad it is, it can always get worse. Uh, when I think back uh, to being an alcoholic and when Christ came into my life, uh, the complete and total deliverance for the need to have alcohol and drugs uh, as my crutch, I really feel it had nothing to do with sin, though I believe the abuse of alcohol and drugs is sin. I really believe that God was taking away my painkiller. Uh, he was trying to begin right from the beginning to show me, Bill, life is difficult, life is tough, and you can't keep running away from it by, uh, you know, sedating yourself with these painkillers. Because when I would get drunk or I'd get high, the pain would go away. The moment you sober up, whatever you try to get away from is right there like this. We've been waiting on you. And so it becomes this in and out thing, and you begin to destroy yourself and the people that you say that you love. Amen? Okay, so uh, I want to go back to the week I got saved. So here, I, I give my life to the Lord, as you heard, on December 26, 1980. It was a Friday. A week to the day. Now, Christ is coming to my life. Nobody on my job believes it. Claudia is still struggling with it. But watching me very carefully, my kids are trying to figure out who's the new guy. And um, so it's a Friday night. I, I, I'm a detective. I like being by myself. So that gives me the freedom to do what I want to do. And uh, a fight call comes on the radio. 1029, fight in progress. And I was close enough, they don't send detectives on fight calls, but I responded just in case some guys would need some backup. Because I drive so fast, I get there first. And there's always one person happy to see you show up. That's the, the person that's getting their butt kicked. Amen? How many of you have ever been in a fight? Anybody here? Anybody ever been in a fight and you were losing and you were happy to have somebody come and break the fight up? Has that ever happened? And uh, so I get there and uh, I, I separate these guys and the most passive guy, the guy that's getting thumped up, he's happy. The other guy wants to get to him. But this is the new bill now. Jesus has come into my life. And my attitude back in those days was, you can say whatever you want to say, but don't put your hands on me. Uh, you cannot imagine how I used to be by any stretch of the imagination. I almost have to bring Claudia with me so people can come and say to her, hey, Claudia, is that true that he's saying? And she would go like, yeah, it's true. So, so, uh, so this guy's trying to get to this guy. And I'm saying, sir, you need to calm down. No, I'm not going to calm down. I'm going to kill him. And I can feel myself starting to get angry. How many of you have ever felt yourself starting to get angry? Okay, so if you have an angry needle, that thing is starting to move. And I'm talking to him, but this is the new bill. I love Jesus now. You know, and I'm like, but as I'm talking, I'm like, you need to calm down. Now, I ain't coming. I'm going to kill him. I said, you're not killing anybody. And all of a sudden, his anger turns on me. And he starts kind of like yelling and screaming and cursing at me. And I can almost feel the curse words. And I'm like, you need to take it easy. I ain't I'm going to kill. I said, you ain't killing nobody. Oh, you think you're bad? You think you're bad? I'll kill you right now. And so I said, you ain't hardly killing me. And so I don't know how I allowed this guy to get in on me. But in martial arts and football, there's a principle where your head goes, your body will follow. Amen. So as he gets in on me, he goes, oh, yeah, you think it bad? And he reaches up and he grabs my cheek and he goes like this. Ooh, and you're sweet, too. My anger needle went just like this. <laughs> and this thought came into my head. Come up under his chin, take his head, snap his neck, bite his nose off his face. That thought made perfect sense to me, okay? 
and before I, I it, within myself, I was like, yeah. So as I went to grab this guy's head, my hand went in my mouth, and I clamped down on my own fingers, and I realized I needed to get away from him or I was going to hurt him. And when I turned away, and I turned around, there were five police officers standing here. I, I never heard them arrive. I was so focused in on this guy. And one guy, he was a patrolman that night. He's a captain today. His name is George Wisner, one of my closest friends at that time. He says, now we believe Jesus has come into your life. <laughs> Question, if I would have bit that man's nose off his face, how many of you think that would have been an overreaction on my part? Anybody ever do that? <laughs> God did not call me to be Hannibal Lecter. And, uh, but it was an evidence of something still unresolved. It was an evidence that when I came to Jesus and though I was totally delivered from drugs and alcohol, everything was not complete. And God had begun this work, and this was an evidence that I needed some help. And so today we heard that the scripture reading about Mark, when, when Jesus is out with his crew and, and he tells the large crowd to go home and he says to his boys, let's go over to the other side of the lake. And they go down, they get in some boats. Jesus, even though he's God in the flesh, he's tired and he goes asleep. And the day starts out great. It's maybe high 85, not a cloud in the sky. The lake is like crystal. And as they get out in the middle of the lake, the wind begins to kick up. And the wind begins to kick up that in the Greek, the word that they use for wind is similar to a cyclone. So it kind of like turns into a hurricane and they're in their own personal little Sandy. Amen. And so now the waves are breaking over and these guys are bailing water out. And who's Bill's favorite disciple? Peter's bailing. He's and he looks over here and Jesus is asleep. So when I'm and he goes, hey, don't you care that we perish? How many of you have ever, like, have you ever felt like, hey, where is God when I really need him? How many people have ever felt that way? Like, there's a song that we sing in the black church. He don't always come when we want him, but he's right on time. I hate that stinking song, okay? Because <laughs> I never pray that prayer. When I want God to show up, when do I want God to show up? Now. Like, if right on time is now, praise the Lord. Other than that, whatever, okay? And so, don't you care that we pray? And I love Jesus. He just wakes up. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> Say neighbor. Jesus invented slobber. Because the Bible says everything that was made was made by him, and there was nothing made that wasn't made that wasn't made by him. Hmm. Okay, so he probably didn't do that. But, and the Bible says, and he rebuked the wind, and he calmed the sea. Another translation, he says, peace, be still. If the Bible was written in the hood, he just says, chill. And that storm backs up off Jesus. And the Bible says there was a great calm, a great calm. And he turns to his boys, he turns to you and I, and he says, where's your faith? Why did you doubt? And so it says this, and, and you know, the Bible says, and the only thing they can say is, who is this? That even the winds and the waves obey him. Like, have you ever wondered who you've gotten yourself hooked up to? And more importantly than that, have you ever wondered who's hooked himself up to us? Because he said again, you didn't choose me, I chose you. The Bible says out of all the things that Jesus did, if you'd have wrote them out one by one, there were not enough books in the world to contain them. So I, I wonder sometimes, as God inspired someone to write the Bible, why did he put these stories one right after another? And I believe because he knew that we were coming. He knew that we would be reading them, and he knew that we would need faith, and faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And that without faith, the Bible says, it is impossible to please the Lord. And that men and women do not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So in the book of Luke, and just for the expedience of time, in the book of Luke, I'm sorry, the book of Mark, the next chapter that was before the storm was Mark 4.35. Mark 5 says it this way. 
And immediately they arrived on the other side of the lake in the country of the Gerasenes. And as Jesus was getting out of the boat, a man in the grip of an evil spirit rushed out to meet him from among the tombs where he was living. It was no longer possible for any human being to restrain him, even with the chain. And indeed, he had been frequently secured with fetters and lengths of chain, but he simply snapped the chains and broke the fetters into pieces. No one could do anything with him. And all through the night, as well as in the daytime, he screamed among the tombs and in the hillside. And he began to cut himself with stones. I, I, I look at this guy. The Bible doesn't give him a name. I call him Mad Mo. He's out there in that cemetery. The Bible lets us know there are two of them. They beat up anybody who comes near the cemetery. Okay. But we're going to focus in on this guy. And he doesn't have any clothes on. And so here he's out there. And he's running around. And he's beating up people. And here comes Jesus. And, and, and he comes running out of the cemetery, screaming at the top of his lungs. And I'm thinking there are 12 guys who are going like, hey, Jesus, why don't we just get back in the boat and go back over to the other side of the lake? But what I love about Jesus is that he steps right into the middle of this man's storm. And he's not repulsed by him. And you know, it's amazing that the disciple says, who is this that even the winds and waves obey him? They don't really know. But this guy's under the influence of a demonic force. That demonic force knew who he was. We know who you are, son of God. Have you come to destroy us? And Jesus silences him. What is your name? Legion, for we are many. In other words, this guy had a lot of problems. And he says, don't send us out of the country and allow us to go into the pigs. And he allows them to go into the pigs. And the pigs run down the hill and they drown themselves. And the guys in charge of the pigs see this. And they take off into town and they tell everybody. And everybody comes out to the cemetery. It's an incredible scene to me. Here's a guy filled with rage. Ephesians 4.27 says, give no place to the devil. I believe the only place that the devil can get in our lives is the place that we give him. What is going wrong in this man's life that the adversary of his soul has gotten a grip on him? And you know, the Bible doesn't tell us. The Bible doesn't tell us how he ended up in that cemetery. The Bible doesn't tell us why he is so angry. Who hurt this man? Who abandoned this man? Who rejected this man? Who abused this man? You and I are really the products of who's chosen to love us and who's chosen not to love us. And we've had probably some wonderful people in our lives who've loved us, and then we've had some people in our lives that have not loved us so well. Amen? How many people can relate to what I just said? And, and so here he is. How did he end up out there? What went wrong in his life? Society's answer, chain him up, lock him down. Jesus' answer, he who the sun sets free is free indeed. And so they begin to have this discourse. One of his behaviors is that he's cutting himself with stones. I ministered to thousands of kids, as I shared already. Many of those kids are white kids. You know what I mean, white kids I'm running into who are cutting themselves? Here's a man 2,000 years ago cutting himself. The Bible says there's nothing new under the sun. I've asked psychologists, how come you don't see a lot of black kids doing that or Hispanic kids and many Asian kids? Not to say that they don't, but he believes that it comes out in violence with us. Sometimes you're cutting yourself because you've got a pain in your heart, a pain in your mind. You don't know what to do with it. So to take your mind off of that pain, you create pain someplace else. The problem is, is that this pain doesn't go away. It just buries itself to come up maybe at another time. What has happened to this man? Again, the Bible doesn't tell us. I think a lot of times we read the story, we focus on Jesus casting out the demons. What's the big deal about that? He's the God of the universe, and he created those demons in the first place, and they weren't demonic when he did it. But they rebelled. I think about this guy. The townspeople come out, and what do they find? 
They find this man has clothes on. He's seated at the feet of Jesus, the Bible says, and he's in his right mind. So therefore, you know what else the Bible doesn't tell us? It doesn't tell us what Jesus said to this guy. For the first time, a hug. For the first time, maybe eye-to-eye -eye contact with someone who's not afraid or someone who's not repulsed. Jesus doesn't look down his nose at him. Maybe for the first time, hands that reach out to him. Maybe just, just to embrace him. It's an incredible scene. What, what happened here? Maybe to hear these words from Jesus. I understand why you act the way you act. It's not your fault. Yes, you're responsible for your behavior, but there's a reason that you do the things that you do. And I understand that. And so he sits down at the feet of Jesus. I wonder, where did he get the clothes from? Maybe he looks at Peter and, and he says, Jesus says to Peter, Peter, give him that extra tunic you have. And maybe Peter, this is my favorite tunic. <laughs> and maybe he says to John, who's snickering now, John, give him those extra sandals you have. And he gives it to him. And so the people get out there, and this man has changed. And they say that the people became afraid. And uh, they asked Jesus to leave. And Jesus doesn't force himself on you. And uh, so Jesus and his boys go down to get back in the boat. And this man wants to go with him. Check out what Jesus says to him. Go home to your own people, he told them. Tell them what the Lord has done for you and how kind he has been to you. That's what Cindy did today. She shared how God has worked in her life. Everybody has a story. And God has the opportunity to work through that story. And so the man went off and he spread this through the 10 towns, the story of what Jesus had done for him. And they were simply and utterly amazed. Ezekiel 46, nine, he went home a different way. He left one way, he went back a different way. And as the story continues, Jesus and his boys, they get in the boat and they go back over to the other side of the lake and there's this large crowd waiting for him. And in this crowd, there's one of the religious leaders. He's the president of the synagogue. His name is Jairus. He has a need. His daughter's dying and, and he runs and drops on his knees in front of Jesus. Lord, please come to my house and lay your hands on my daughter that she might live. And Jesus takes off to Jairus' house with a large crowd around him and his, and his disciples. But in the crowd, there's this woman there's a woman, and we find out in one of the other verses that, that Jairus' daughter is 12 years old. There's a woman in the crowd who's been bleeding for 12 years. She's been bleeding ever since Jairus' daughter was born. And when you, when you were bleeding, you had what was called an issue of blood. You were deemed unclean. Look at your neighbor's feet. Everybody look at your neighbor's feet. Say, neighbor. neighbor. I know what kind of shoes you wear. Say neighbor. neighbor. Issues. <laughs> Say neighbor. That ain't your only pair. <laughs> Just a thought. So here's what she says. The Bible says she had been bleeding for 12 years and she had gone from doctor to doctor. And instead of getting better, she only got worse. And the only thing that doctors did for her was took her money. Now, does God use doctors in unbelievable ways? Absolutely. Absolutely. But the doctors that she was going to were not able to help her. Where do you go when you're hurting? Where do you go when you're sick? What kind of medicine you've been taking? 
to deal with your pain. How many of us have ever taken some things for our pain that were not very helpful for us? Anybody ever do that? Okay, and, and, and so she, she makes up her mind. It's amazing the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that God inspires Luke to write this, but, um, I'm sorry, Mark to write this, but Luke not. That God was merciful to Luke, the beloved physician. Didn't make him slam his own profession, but he tells the story. It's amazing. It's amazing that God covers all the bases. And so uh, she makes up her mind, I'm going to go to him. If I could just touch the hem of his garment, I know I could be whole. And, you know, God responds to faith. And here's Jesus. He's walking and she's working her way. And I want you to just picture her. She's tired. She's frail. She's anemic. She's pale. And, and how do you get to Jesus surrounded by all of these people? And I know one way you could because you're, if, if I was unclean and I touched Jim, Jim becomes unclean. If I touch Kirk, Kirk becomes unclean. It was like the cootie game when we would put kids. We played the cootie game. Anybody ever played the cootie game when you were kids? You know, men never want to raise their hand on the cootie game. Whatever. You know, but, no, nah, yo, man, I ain't playing no cootie game. Okay, so, but in the meantime, instead of saying unclean, she could just say, I got the cooties. I got the cooties. And people, <laughs> and all of a sudden, this trail is open to get to Jesus. Or maybe she has to crawl. But she's made up her mind, I'm going to get to him. And finally, she reaches out and she touches the hem of his garment. And the Bible says immediately she realized that she's healed. Dang. And she steps back into the crowd because Jesus stops. Because the Bible also says he felt his virtue go out. And he turns around. I love this. He turns around and he says, uh, who touched me? Who touched me? And maybe he pans over the crowd and he, he will let it be Joyce today. And he looks, their eyes lock on. And Joyce is like, oh boy. And she throws herself at the feet of Jesus. How about this? And she told him her whole story. Jesus knew her whole story. But it was important enough to listen to it that day. I think about this, okay? Let me tell you why. I carry pictures of uh, my grandkids when they were younger, you know? And uh, let's just say one of them was dying and I asked Jesus to heal him. And he's on his way to my house, but he gets delayed by Joyce. And not only delayed by Joyce, but Joyce just wants to tell her whole story. I wonder what I would be doing in the background. Maybe walking back and forth. <sighs> Whatever. You, I, had, I had you first. You could talk to her later. But Jesus hears the story. And then he says to her, daughter calls her right into the family. Your faith has made you whole. Go your way in peace. And Joyce goes home a different way. Joyce goes home with head held high. Joyce goes home no longer unclean, touched by the power of the God of the universe able to pursue life, able to pursue a family, able to hug her kids, able to make a bed and not to have the sheets become contaminated through her uncleanness. And they continue on to Jairus' house. And now Jairus' servants come and they say, don't bother the master any longer. Your daughter is dead. Damn. And then Jesus says something crazy right here if it wasn't for the fact that it was Jesus saying it. He says to Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe. And really what those words mean, don't change the faith that you had in me when you came to me down by the beach. Really, in essence, that's what it means in the Greek. Don't be afraid, just believe. You know what Jairus could have said? Just believe, 
Just believe what? I ask you to heal my daughter. You stop to heal that lady. Now my daughter's dead. How many of you have ever been angry at God? Straight up. How many of you who have your hands? In, okay, keep your hands up. How many of you who have been angry at God didn't tell God you were angry at him because he might get upset if he ever found out you were angry? Just keep your hands in there. All right, so look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, you might as well tell him because he already knows. But Jairus doesn't say a word, and they continue on to Jairus' house. They have the professional mourners that would come to your house who would mourn for you. I go like, dang, how do you get that job? <laughs> oh, whatever. Okay, so Jesus says she's not dead. She's just asleep. The Bible says, and they went from mourning to laughing. Matter of fact, they laughed him to scorn. The scriptures say that God is not mocked. And so Jesus sent them away. And he went into the house with James, John, and Peter, Jairus and Jairus' wife, closes the door behind them. Jewish law says you're not to touch anything or anyone that's dead. And Jesus walks over and takes that little girl by the hand and says, little girl, I say to you, arise. And I would think this, her face begins to flush with color. Warmth comes back into her hands. One Bible chapter says, and her spirit returned to her. And as far as her parents are concerned, and we've heard this from Cindy, a room that had faded to black is now bursting in living color as this little girl arises. And it says the joy of her parents knew no bounds. Dang. Can you imagine? All hope is given. Lost, rather. You know what? Last night, I left out part of the story about Jack Lucas. How many of you found the story of Jack Lucas incredible? Anybody like you listen to that? You know when Jack Lucas died? Three years ago. He lived through both of those explosions. They had thrown him in with dead bodies. And all of a sudden, he starts moving around. It was like, dang, that brother's still alive. <laughs> and God raised him up. Why? I don't know. Why do some people and some make it and some don't? I don't know. I don't try to explain it. But I bet you Jack was thankful. I bet you his mom was thankful. Maybe his wife, he came back. That same Jesus had compassion on him. What an incredible God. All of those people had days probably that started out great and some of them got worse. I had a day like that once. I was 13 years old. Here I was, the victim of all of this abuse. Never having, I can't remember ever being kissed by her, my mom. I can't ever remember being hugged. I don't remember any, any, not one single time where I can think back and go like, she loved me. Daddy, on the other hand, was a totally different story. He was awesome and he was God's saving grace in my life. I come home from school and some of mom's friends are at the house. And, uh, they say, Bill, we have some bad news for you. Your mom had a massive heart attack today and she died. And I remember taking my dog for a walk. And I remember crying, but I don't know why I cried. I don't know if I was mad, glad, or sad. To this day, I don't know why. But I knew some of that drama was going to stop without using that terminology at that time. And I came home and my cousin A.B. had come home. He is 18 years old now. He sees I've been crying and he says, well, why are you crying? I said, well, I'm crying because mommy's dead. He says, well, so what? 
she's not your real mother. Your cousin Betty, the girl who I've been watching sleep with all those different lovers, that's your real mother. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor. <laughs> Dang. What do you do with that? What do you do with that at 13 years old? What do you do with that when you find out later that she went to have me aborted and the lady who did illegal abortions talked her out of it and became my godmother and later gave her life to Jesus and died in 2000 and God gave me the honor of officiating her funeral so she could have planted me in 47 and I planted her in 2000 and I'll see her when I get upstairs. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor. That's a weird way of looking at that. <laughs> but that day, my life spiraled out of control. And it never came back under some kind of control until Jesus rolled up on my shore. And he began to go to work. And so I came with a bag. And so my first ministry call was to a place called Children's Village. 300 boys out of New York City, all out of homes of abuse and neglect. 300 little bills. And I can relate to those kids. Based on my story, who would my biggest issue be with, men or women? I can't hear you. So who does God give me for a boss? A woman. A white woman at that. And my attitude was no woman tells me what to do even though the Bible says be obedient to those in authority over you. And if I'm the associate chaplain and she's the chaplain, I have to submit to her authority. In my Bible, it says, unless it's a woman. <laughs> I wrote that in there. <laughs> Say, neighbor, God ain't feeling that. <laughs> but we're clashing all the time. And my attitude is no woman tells me what to do. She doesn't know about my childhood. I have never thought about the craziness of my childhood. And she gets in my face one day. At Children's Village, these are two key fight words. I became a trainer of staff, teaching staff how to, a program called Therapeutic Crisis Intervention. How do you bring kids back under control after you've had to restrain them and all this kind of stuff? Key fight words at Children's Village are these two words. Your mama. Black kids, Hispanic kids know how to go there. White kids don't know how to play the your mama game too tough. But a black kid like, yo, your mom is one. And you get a couple of knuckleheads on the sideline, ooh, he's talking about your mama. Next thing you know, it's on, all right? Or amen. amen. White people are like, you're a mother. Well, that's not real painful. <laughs> your mommy's one, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> and so she doesn't know the story of my childhood, but she does know the story of the resistance that she's getting from me and in frustration and anger one day, and this was the one of the transforming days of my Christian walk, she gets in my face with hands on her hips. What kind of a mother did you come from? Scooby-Doo. <laughs> and rather than just cut her up verbally, which I'm pretty proficient at doing, I walked away. And I got in the car and I rode around and I thought about it. What kind of mom did I come from? I came from two moms and a father that I never met until I was 30 years old because I made up my mind I would kill him, so my family hid him from me. What's your name, St. Abraham? Bill really had some issues in those days. <laughs> I, I, I thought about this, and all of a sudden, something incredible happened. 
And before I tell you what happened, I believe that this talk is important enough to do it in two parts. We'll do the second part tonight after we deal with some of your stuff. <laughs> but I want you to think about those kind of days that you've had. Who's hurt you? Who's let you down? You ever have those words come out your mouth? You wish you could get them and put them back in? Anybody ever feel that way? Oh, just 10 of us? Praise the Lord. <laughs> How many people have ever had words come out your mouth? You wish you could get them and put them back in. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor. Why didn't you raise your hand the first time? <laughs> How many of you have ever done something that felt good when you did it, but you would, later on you were sorry you went there? How many of us realize we deal with stuff differently? Women deal with stuff differently. Women, like us, the problem is with women, women have total recall. <laughs> women don't forget anything. They invented videotape replay for knuckleheaded men who don't remember what happened 10 seconds ago. Ladies and ladies only, how many of you while you were growing up have ever seen two boys get in a fight in the afternoon, those guys are playing basketball together? How many people have ever wondered, how many of you wonder like, what in the ham sandwich is that about? <laughs> ladies and ladies only, you get in a fight with a woman in the morning, you hanging out with her that afternoon? <laughs> so, <laughs> look at y'all. No, because women have this gene in them called, it ain't over. <laughs> and women will stuff stuff, women will be like, Ooh. And if that happens four or five times, one day, and people will say, she was so sweet until she killed everyone at Costco. Just a thought. That's baggage. How many of you ever went to bed angry? How many of you had a pill, had your head laying on a pillow, had a tear roll out your left eye across the bridge of your nose down into your right eye? Did I have anybody in the house? Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor. How does he know so much about you? <laughs> How many of you, when you woke up in the morning, you were nowhere near as angry as you were when you went to sleep? Have you ever wondered where the anger went? It doesn't go out the window. It doesn't go up the chimney. It goes downstairs. And then what's in the well comes up in the bucket. For the sake of someone, I love doing this picture. I, I use an expression, what's in the well comes up in the bucket. Can you imagine, how many people here have ever drank water out of a well? You can't imagine how cold the water is in a well in Russia in November. <laughs> and you run to the well and you drop the bucket down in your mouth, this little parched, and you're cranking it up. And you can hear the water sloshing around. But last night, Somebody took a boo-boo in the well. We had one of those in the swimming pool. That boo-boo's floating around down there. And if you keep putting that bucket down in there, sooner or later, that boo-boo's coming up. How many people can relate to that? I know it's ugly, but how many people can relate to that? What's in the well comes up in the bucket. And that's why God says, deal with it before you go to sleep. It even goes on to say, don't give the devil that kind of foothold in your life. We'll talk more about that today, but let's, let's deal with what we've heard so far. We all have a story. We've all been through stuff. Maybe for some of you, it's not as traumatic as mine, and maybe mine, for some of you, your story, my story seems like a fairy tale. But we've all got a story. And if we end up at the feet of Jesus, incredible things take place.
He has the incredible ability to change our lives if we would only let him. But he will not force himself upon us. But he does say this, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. And he doesn't even knock with his hand. He knocks with his mouth. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and I will fellowship or sup with them. He comes in and he begins to rearrange the furniture in our lives. Everybody do this right quick. Look at your neighbor. Say, neighbor. You need some furniture rearrangement. <laughs> okay. Just a thought. Okay. So we'll go to our time now. And uh, Lord, we love you today. Thank you for the things you put in the Bible, the things that should give us hope. As we look and see how you change the lives of men and women. Because you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. You do not change. You have the ability to make us whole. You have the ability to heal us. You have the ability to set us free. You have the ability to clean up all of our cooties. And we got some. You have the ability to set us on a right path for righteousness sake. Thank you that you have begun this good work in us. Thank you that you still got a long way to go. And I pray, oh God, that you would give us an ability to cooperate. And I pray that you would give us an ability to respond to the course that you've given us in your word. We thank you for that today. I thank you for my brothers and sisters. Thank you for the time you've given us together. Thank you for their children. For the kids have issues too. And I pray, oh God, that parents would hear this. It'll be very difficult to deal with their issues if we haven't dealt with our own. So help us to deal with our own in the mighty and awesome name of Jesus. We thank you for that today. Amen. Amen. Got one question before I go. How many of you have a kid? You look at that kid and that kid is you all over again. Anybody know that? Okay. I ask kids this all the time. I said, how many of you have ever had somebody say, you act just like your father, you act just like your mom? Almost every kid will raise their hand. I said, how many of you don't like that? <laughs> every kid will raise your hand. And I'll go, oh, I, 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 <laughs> uh-oh. <laughs> every kid, so I said, guess what? If you don't know who to act like, guess who you're going to end up being like? And then they go like, it's amazing how willing they are to start dealing with their stuff right then. Amen? Thank you. Okay.